dad pulls in to the drive-thru of the famous Golden Arches. And, and we're all in baited excitement in the back of the car as, as he talks into the clown's mouth and tells the clown that we would like a bunch of cheeseburgers and three large fries. There are more than three kids in the back of the vehicle, but we are balling on a budget. Dad gets the fries, the bag of fries and burgers, and he hands it to mom. Mom does the classic mom move and scrunches up the top of the bag so the animals can't get it. We get home, we lay out our cheeseburgers in those yellow, orangey kind of wrappings that they are, and then my mom opens up the bag of fries and begins to just sprinkle and douse and bless us with fresh fries. And if you were crafty, if you were smart, you knew that inside the bag there were bonus fries at the bottom. And my mom, the patron saint of French fries, blesses her kiddos. I didn't understand how powerful that was. I didn't understand how important that was. I didn't understand what my mom and my dad were doing, the sacrifice that they were giving for us until I had kids of my own. Until I showed up to those same golden arches and purchased my children those little red boxes with the toy and the burger and the nuggets. And you can ask for extra fries nowadays. Substitute fruit for extra fries. What kind of world are we living in? And as I hand my little babies their little meals, I do what every parent does because it is our rights. I reach my hand back and say, give me some fries. And could you imagine that these little monsters would look at me and say, no. These are my fries. And I sit there in befuddlement. I sit there asking the Holy Spirit to re-enter my heart again. And I say, whose fries are these really? Whose fries are these really? That's what God is asking you today. Whose fries? Are these really? The Apostle Paul, in a kind of first century way, speaks to the church in Corinth and wants them to wrestle with this same concept, to wrestle with this same idea. Paul's going to do something. He's going to contrast two churches. He's going to contrast the church in Macedonia, which is a church that has been just, just, just riddled with poverty, riddled with war, and, and is a, a group of 
poor churches, a group of churches that financially don't have much. He's going to compare and contrast them to the church in Corinth, which is kind of like a booming metropolis, and, and they have so much. Paul's asking a deeper question here. Let's look at it in 2 Corinthians. It reads like this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their severe trials, their, come on somebody, listen to this overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welds up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded the expectation. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as we had earlier made a beginning to bring us to completion, this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of, the love, of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The grace of giving. Everybody take a deep breath and let go of your wallet that you are clutching so tightly to right now. Oh Lord, they're talking about giving. This is why I don't come to church. This is why I have issues with the church. They're always talking about money. Pastor Brian couldn't even come and do it himself. He had to hire this guy to ask for it. Because he's smart. Listen to me, friends. You'll miss the whole thing if you don't get this point. Ready? God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your money. In fact, God doesn't need your money. Giving 
should start in the heart. But for many of us, giving starts in the head. Because we have the wrong mindset and we have the wrong mentality about giving. If you're just joining for the first time or you're checking out this this church thing, you're checking out this faith thing, listen up because this may be the most important message you hear. Our mindset needs to shift that our heart would shift. Make that 14-inch journey from your head to your heart, and watch what God does. It makes me think of a friend of mine. They have a daughter they adopted from Asia, and she's been with them since a few days after her birth. When she turned 12, Erin started to do something a little bit peculiar. Erin began to hoard food and hide that food. And her folks were concerned, they were worried, so, so they went and they took Aaron to a psychologist, and the psychologist let them know that what Aaron was exhibiting was a scarcity mindset that is often seen in children who grow up in orphanages. Though Aaron had only spent a few weeks in an orphanage, something had happened to her mind in that season. And now as she was growing up, as she was developing, she began to hold on to food, worried that there wouldn't be enough, worried that it would go away. You've heard stories maybe about um, orphanages in Romania where children are actually given pieces of bread at night to hold in their hand so they'll know that there'll be food there tomorrow. How many of us are living our lives with that same scarcity mindset? That same mindset that somehow God is going to let us down. Somehow there isn't going to be enough. Somehow I can do better with what I have than trusting God with it. What I tell you, God doesn't need your money. The psalmist in Psalm 15, Psalm 50, says it so clearly. God says, I don't need your sacrifice. I don't need your bulls. I don't need these offerings you're going to bring me. Verse 11, he says, I have cattle on a thousand hills. God is looking at us saying, I am doing just fine. Giving is a heart and a trust issue, and that's what makes it essential for every follower of Jesus Christ. What's the point of giving, Carl? You just told me he has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, and you just told me he doesn't need my bulls. I don't have bulls, but I'm assuming you're talking about money, and you just said he don't need it. Friends, this is what God's trying to get us to understand. God wants us to understand that he wants us to live in freedom. He wants us to live in freedom and he wants us to live dependent upon him. Look at what he says in Exodus. I'm going to throw that up. Bring the, the best 
of the first fruits of your soil. Where does he tell him to bring it? To the house of the Lord. There's an obedience that God's asking for here. A precise obedience that we would bring the best and the first to him. God doesn't want your leftovers. God doesn't want your nasty lasties. He said it so clearly in Genesis. Look at this. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Come on, this is what he says to Abram. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is where we get the concept of the tithe. A tenth of everything. But we need to kind of get over this right here. This is crippling so many people in their generosity. That word is crippling so many people in their giving because we get caught up on God wants a tenth of my stuff. Why do you want a tenth of my stuff, God? Why does it have to be a tenth? Listen to me. It doesn't have to be a tenth. You know who God's talking to? God is talking to People, his people, his children who have been in captivity for 400 years and only know how to live as slaves, only know how to live in bondage. And God begins to give them a law. God begins to give them some ordinance. God gives them some principles to live by because they only know how to live in slavery. But Jesus comes... And Jesus fulfills the law, brings the law to completion. And he wants us to understand something deeper about the grace of giving. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen to me today, Americans. You cannot serve both God and money. He's talking about devotion. Well, Carl, I don't have any money. You want to look at my Wells Fargo account? I don't have any money. Well, Jesus got a word for you too in Luke 16. Look at this. No servant can serve two masters. That sounds like the same verse before. Stay with me. For either you will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. This is, can be translated as resent the other. A resentment will bubble up in your heart. Ready? Some of y'all are struggling with that right now. You're resenting this message. Because I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your spaces and places. I don't know what's, that you got let go. I don't know that, that you're not getting enough hours. And you're beginning to resent me and in turn resent God. 
But listen to what he's telling you. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this is key. Mammon is translated riches. Stuff. This first century audience that would have been reading this text would have understood instantly what Jesus was saying. You can't worship my father and the stuff at the same time. You see, mammon comes from a Syrian god named Mammon. The Syrian god who was the god of riches. The Syrians inherited this god from the Babylonians. The Babylonians find their root in a group of people from a place called Babel. You remember Babel? In Genesis 11, Babel is when a group of people looked up to God and said, God, why can't we be like you? If we can just climb a stairway to heaven, then we could be just like God. So God sees them building this tower, and God says they cannot reach up to me, so I will confuse their language and spread them apart. And they would babble on. Babel is mammon. Mammon is a spirit of confusion that tells you that you can be God. Mammon is a spirit of control that tells you you can do better with it than he can. Mammon is a spirit that wants to drive you away from the Father and closer to self. I love the way that C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Screwtape Letters. Keep it up. It says this. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. Mammon knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. Riches knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. Money knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. Four different times in Corinthians 8, Paul interchanges the words grace and giving. Paul wants to draw the attention of this church to have them understand that giving is a grace. That giving is a grace. When we give, it gives us the ability and the heart to understand the free gift that God has given to us. Our giving should be like God's giving of grace 
freely and generous because we want to give. When God gives to us out of grace, the motive of his giving is not based on what he will receive. Giving God, giving to God's grace should be offered without expectation of payment in return. God doesn't give to us expecting payback. And once we see that giving is centered on loving, is centered on devotion, is centered on grace. It lifts the whole act away from mechanics, from pressure and duty and obligation, from legalism, and becomes an overflow of our love for God. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And hear me on this, friends. If you're sitting there and you're thinking you can love God without giving, I want you to hear these words out of 1 John 3, 17. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. If you say you love God, But you don't trust him enough to hand over a couple of french fries that belong to him anyways. Is the love of God really in you? Can I be transparent and can I be real with y'all? I've been a pastor for 20 years. There's been many a seasons that I've struggled with giving. But it wasn't about the money. It was, God, do I trust you? And I could stand up here and tell you amazing stories how God generously gave to me and my wife when when we didn't have, when we were really in need, when, when, when the bills were stacked up like this and we receive a check out of nowhere and it's for the exact amount of the bills. I could tell you about that because that really happened, but that's not the point. Because listen to this, listen, listen, listen. it's God's heart to give to me. It's God's character to give to me. And God doesn't give to me so I'd be like, oh my Lord, oh my you, look at what you did. Now I'm going to give back to you because you gave to me. He gives to me because he loves me. And when I get that love, when I receive that love, let it bubble up in my heart that I might be generous. The grace of giving. That means when you're driving down the road, that you would keep a couple of dollars in your center console. And you would begin to teach your children this example, that you see somebody 
who's in need and in want. And you don't lock the door. You don't roll up the windows. You don't pass judgment. You open up the center console, and whatever you have in there, you take it out and you hand it to them. And you remember in that exchange, that is the same way when you were lost, when you were lonely, when you were deprived, when you were far from God, that he reached down from heaven and handed you the grace of his son Christ Jesus. It's the same thing. You see, my friends, this isn't a money issue. This is a heart issue. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants you to walk in freedom. But here's why he gives us the benchmark of 10%. Right? Because I know some of you A-types are like, okay, but just explain to me why exactly I have to give 10%. Okay? Settle down, nerd. You don't have to give 10%. That is an Old Testament law. It was a benchmark. It was a principle that God gave to his people. When Jesus comes, Jesus fulfills the law. He is the fullness of the law. And the New Testament actually doesn't even speak about tithing. But the New Testament speaks about generosity. The New Testament speaks about being a cheerful giver. And Paul, talking to the same church in Corinth, gives it to them clean and simple. He says this. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income Saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Paul gives us the template of what a generous heart looks like. He says this, on the first day of the week. Here, Paul's saying that generosity should be a priority. On the first day of the week. Each one of you, generosity should be personal. Should set aside a sum of money. Generosity should be planned. In keeping with your income, now here it is. Generosity should be proportional. What do I mean? I'm going to stop on this one. It's proportional. For some of y'all, 10% Ain't nothing. You got 10% in the couch. <laughs> For some of y'all, 10% is like, Lord, you better help me. What did Jesus talk about when he, gave, when he told the parable of the widows with two mites? She gave everything, two little mites. She just gave it away. She gave everything, and yet you had this religious leader who gave the proper offering, but his heart was in the wrong spot. Jesus is saying, I want it all. I want your heart. Give proportionally. Save it up so that when I come, this is Paul talking, when I come, no collection will have to be made. Paul's saying, let it be done privately. You don't need to be telling 
you know, oh, I gave, I gave so much. Can I tell you all something? Oh, Lord, let me preach for two and a half more minutes. <laughs> I've seen so many Christians over the years hold up their churches like bank robbers. You don't change the music, pastor. I'm not giving my tithe. You don't open up, pastor. I'm not giving my tithe. You don't do this, pastor. I'm not giving my tithe. Listen to me, somebody. God doesn't need your money. The day you say to your pastor, whether it's at this church or another, whether you're watching online, the day you say to your pastor, to your leader, to your small group, I'm not going to give my tithe because, check yourself. Whatever you're going to say next, I'm going to tell you this, it is invalid. Those are God's french fries. Keep it private. Principles of giving. Prioritize generosity. Let generosity be personal. Let it be planned. Let it be proportional. Let it be private. I'm going to break this one right now really quick. Ready? Let me tell you how much Pastor Brian gives every week. No, I'm playing. Um, I've been having a rough week. Don't feel too bad for me. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. But um, (laughs) this morning, I I put my tithe, our tithe, on uh, automatic giving. Like it just happens automatically. But I love when I get that little email that says your tithe has been received. Because you know what it reminded me? Well, it happened this morning. You know what it reminded me? God, you're in control. God, you've got me. That was my first act of worship today. Was just giving to God what's already his. Giving my heart, giving my trust over to him. Here it is, folks. It's a big idea I want you to capture today. When you've been given grace, when we've been given grace, we must have the grace of giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. That Jesus himself becomes an offering. God, the gracious giver. And God didn't hold back. He gave us his best. He gave us his son. And then Jesus doesn't hold back. He gave us his best. He gave us his life. I pray that the grace of giving might swell up in you. Not because of what he's given to others, 
but what he's given to you. Let me pray for y'all. Lord Jesus, may you help us to be generous and cheerful givers. Not holding on to the things of this world, not tied to the things of this world, but rooted and founded in you. Let our hearts be full of grace. Freely we receive. Freely. We give. We love you. We thank you. In your holy name, all God's people said, amen. Tag, you are it. Have a great week, folks. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.